We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20 today and verse 24. The title of the message is the Beatitudes. We're going to look at the first Beatitude today. The Beatitudes, are you in the kingdom? Luke 6. I'm going to start us off just by reading verses 17 through 19. Luke 6, 17 through 19. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of His disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem in the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch Him, for power was coming from Him and healing them all. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come before You once again today, Lord, and we are so grateful to be called Your children, Lord, through adoption. Lord, we we praise Your holy name. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for the songs we sang today and um, just the truth in each one of them. Father, we thank You for saving poor, needy sinners like us. Lord, I just pray for Your Holy Spirit to help me today that your Holy Spirit would, would go with your word as it's proclaimed and you would accomplish your purpose in our lives. And for all who would hear, we pray for Christ above all to be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you guys remember last week, because in verse 17 we see it says Jesus came down with them. And obviously, he came down from the mountain. He was up, he was up the mountain all night praying to his father. And then he came and he chose the twelve. So that's the, that's the flow here in verse 17. He came down with them, stood on a level place. And there we see different people here in verses um, 17 through 19. This is really just by way of introduction, these first few verses here. Um, we see, basically we see another big crowd coming, right? Jesus' ministry was gaining popularity. And the people were coming to him. Obviously, he had been healing people, casting out demons. And so the crowds were going. You could, we could see the crowds in a few different places. In chapter, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 4, verse 42. Chapter 5, verse 15. You can see these large crowds following Jesus. And then just to... We can see it in chapter 9, how big some of these crowds are getting. That's where he fed. There's a couple different instances, but chapter 9 is where he fed the 5,000 men. not counting women and children. So, wow, it would have been something to live in that day, seeing these crowds follow Christ. But we know with the crowds growing, His opponents hated it. And we've been looking at His opponents, His his adversaries, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They were envious. Um, Their hatred for Him was growing. A few weeks ago, we looked at how they wanted to destroy Him. They were seeking ways to kill Him already. And obviously all that in God's providence eventually led to the cross. But we see in verse 17 there's three groups of people here. Um, Jesus came down with them. That's the twelve that He had just chosen. And there, were a, there was a large crowd of His disciples. That's, that's that large group of disciples that, that we talked about last week that He chose the twelve out of. So even amidst those disciples, more than likely some were true and some were false. But then we see a third group of people, a great throng of people. So there's these different groups of people 
It's a, you could say it's a mixed multitude. And you know, that's, that's true anytime. I would say most times. Of course, the, the more people there are, the better chance of that being true, that when the Word's being proclaimed, there's usually a mixed multitude. Of course, you have, even, even amongst believers, you have believers at different maturity levels. And then sometimes the more people you'll have, you'll have um, all kinds of different people. That's what we have in this setting here. In this beginning, what we're going to look at here in a minute, uh, of whether this is the same Sermon on the Mount as Matthew is discussing or not, it's very similar, if not, but you see these, these, these different groups of people. And so the Word of God is going to go forth, and that's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. It accomplishes its purpose. You can have believers, unbelievers, mature believers, immature believers, and the Word of God is living and active. That's what I see going on here. But it says they came from Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. So they came from Judea, really just speaking all of Israel, including Jerusalem, which is the religious and cultural center of the nation. You know who would have been included in this? These these guys that have been following Him all along. They're in this crowd. The Pharisees, His opponents. But I think what we can take, even in this introduction, guys, with this crowd, is that we see Jesus ministering to the multitudes once again. And that, that was His pattern. He ministered to and loved the multitudes. Guys, listen to Matthew 9.36. Seeing the people, He felt compassion for them. Again, this is another one, another one of those times where He had, you know, was preaching, ministering to large crowds of people. Seeing the people... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, this should, this should describe us as Christians. You know, when we talk about ministering to people, preaching the gospel to people, we should have compassion on people. We should love the people we're preaching to. We should love the people you're, that God puts in your life you're able to minister to. When we're able to minister to large groups of people, we should not look at the world as our enemies. People much different than us. People, people that may outwardly be scary. People that blaspheme our God, they're not the enemy. People in false religions are not the enemy. We should, we should learn from Christ, right? That's what we want to model everything we do after. And He, he always had compassion on the people. That's the way you should see somebody, guys who does not know Christ, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They are. They're, they're, they're somebody who doesn't have a shepherd. Okay? And we need to remember that. Verse 18 says, All these people who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with the unclean spirits were being cured. You know, we've talked about that as we've gone through Luke as He's began His public ministry. Really, Jesus ministering to the whole person it says in verse 19, He healed them all. And you know, in the same way, whenever we are able, we should try to minister to the whole person. Obviously, the most important is the, is the spirit, the soul, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, but when we can be kind to people and meet their physical needs, we should do everything we can to do that. And so, but it said He healed them all. You know, we discussed these things. How, how unlike the faith healers of our day, Jesus was. He would, heal, he would heal them all. Complete healing. <laughs> if, they, if they lacked an arm, he'd, the arm would grow back. He even raised people from the dead. Much, un, totally unlike the, the phonies of our day. And so, and obviously he's, he's continuing to establish 
who he is in front of the people. He's continuing to establish his authority, right? He's modeling to the people. He's demonstrating to the people that he has power over the physical realm by healing people, regardless of their faith, right? Casting out demons, he demonstrated his power over the kingdom of darkness. And so we, we see him continuing to do that. We have to ask the question, guys. I'm not going to stay there long. But is this, because as you see, the verses we're going to get into today, we, we're going to begin to get into the Beatitudes. And so is this the same sermon as Matthew chapter 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount? I'm going to, I'm going to say one word on that. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's literally split 50-50 from the, the men that I read. Nobody knows. But if, if it is, if it is, because there's, there's obviously a lot of similarities, right? You see the Beatitudes, a lot of the same language. If it is, then Luke has a much shorter version of it. But you also see some things that are different. So, that's my answer to you. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. could be the same sermon that Jesus preached multiple times. Or it could just be a shortened version. But this sermon, really in Luke chapter 6, you could say if it is the same sermon, Luke chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is a description of a Christian. I want you to understand that. When we go through this sermon, as we go through the Beatitudes, it's a description of what a Christian should look like, or does look like. Not some Christians, not super saints, but this should be normal for the Christian. So what we're looking at is what a what a Christian or a citizen of His kingdom looks like. Because that's what we're going to see in verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Jesus is setting it straight of what His kingdom is all about here in the Sermon on the Mount. How to enter. We're going to look at today really how to How do you enter Christ's kingdom? How do you enter Christ's kingdom? What do its citizens look like? What is this kingdom not? We have to remember, what did they expect in their day? Even the disciples. They expected a military leader to defeat Rome and their enemies. So they, that's the kind of kingdom they were expecting. And Jesus, as we're going to see, this whole idea of the sermon is, is really what the citizens of His kingdom look like. And so we're going to start with a question today. The title of the sermon are you in the kingdom? That's what we need to ask all, each one of us need to ask ourselves, anybody that would listen to this. Because it's all good and well to read something like this, guys, because what this is not, what this sermon is not, the sermon on the, on the mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and Luke 6, Luke 6, it's not a, just a message on morality. It's really not, because it can appear that way on the surface. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sermon describing what a citizen of the kingdom would look like. And it's very evangelistic. It's very, it's very, it could cause a person to say, man, I don't fit that. I need to examine my life. That's, that's the point. Because remember, he's, there, there's, there's mixed people in the, in, the, in the crowd. And so, but that's what we're going to start with today. Are you in the kingdom? So we're going to look at verse 20 and verse 24. 
The first thing we're going to see for those that are in the kingdom as we answer this question, right? As we each individually answer this question, am I in the kingdom? The first characteristic in verse 20 is those who are in the kingdom are blessed. Those who are in the kingdom are blessed. Look at verse 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples. So he's speaking to his disciples, but in the midst of many other people, right? Turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those in the kingdom are blessed. So that's what we're going to talk about first. What does it mean to be blessed? What is he talking about? We hear that a lot, do we not? (laughs) How are you today? I'm blessed. Blessed, you even hear blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed. And and many times you hear that, it's coming from maybe somebody you know, or maybe you've just been around them enough to know that these are obvious unbelievers. But it just comes out, right? We have that all the time at the bus station. I'm blessed. And I always ask people, what do you mean by that? I remember, some of you guys may have heard this. I shared this before. I don't remember when, but years ago when I preached in front of the clubs, and a particular club, it's closed now, but that's where a lot of the Thunder players would go and hang out, out the sidewalk. And there was a former Thunder player. I won't mention his name, but he was out there. And I just didn't act like I didn't know him, but I was preaching and I engaged him. And that's, how are you doing, man? You, are you right with God? And that's all he is. I'm blessed. He just kept saying, I'm blessed. Well, you know, when you're 20 years old and you're a multimillionaire, I, I, understand, what, I understand what he meant. And so, in a sense, that's true. Hey, God's common grace. <laughs> He's blessed you with the ability to play a game and make millions of dollars. But that's pretty much all he said. And, and so, but what does this word blessed mean? When he says, he began to say, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. The word blessed here means happy. Okay? But it's not happy in the way the world thinks of happy. Right? This word, it means happy, fortunate, blissful. Here it is, guys. Inward content, contentedness. Inward contentedness. Bob, even though your Oregon State Beavers lost last night, I bet, I just bet though, it doesn't affect your inward contentedness at all, does it? Because your happiness is not based on a football game. Okay? This, this blessedness, it's not affected by circumstance. Okay? That's what this blessedness is. The Reformation Study Bible, the Bible that Ligonier puts out, I love the way their definition of this word. And this is so key. All, of the, all this definition, all these things going together. Listen to this. Spiritual well-being. That's this blessedness. Spiritual well-being. Having the approval of God. Happy is the man who has the approval of God. Amen? Happy is the man who is, has spiritual well-being having the approval of God, and thus, a happier destiny. That's what this word blessed means, guys. Romans 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul's using the same word. It's the same Greek word here. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not take. Uh, uh, Blessed is a man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. 
Guys, that's, that's what it means to be blessed. That's what it means to be blessed. That's the man who is blessed regardless of his circumstances. The man whose sins have been forgiven. The man whose sins have been covered. The man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Why not? Because his sin was placed upon Christ. Paid in full. That's the man who's blessed. I mean, what did Jesus say, right? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, right? You had all the earthly circumstances in your favor. What would it profit that man if he forfeited his soul? That man's not blessed. Blessed is the man or woman, obviously. (laughs) Blessed is the man or woman who can face the rejection of his family because of his faith in Christ. Maybe those closest to you turn on you because of your love for Christ. Blessed is that man. Jesus even addresses that in verse 22 that we'll look at here in a few weeks. We'll be on the Beatitudes for about a month. Verse 22, blessed, the same word, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Even those closest to you. Blessed. Blessed is the man or woman who can face a terminal illness and stare it in the face and not be affected inwardly. Their their contentedness because they had favor with God. I knew a man like that. We knew a man like that. What a model he was of this very thing. That's, That's what this word means. Blessed. Blessed. Are you who are poor? As we'll see in the next few weeks. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you when men hate you. In Matthew's account, there's there's a few other beatitudes. But that's what the word means, guys. Listen to Paul in 2 Timothy 4.6. Facing martyrdom. He knew his time was soon. And he's writing to Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He knew. He knew his death was coming soon. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's blessedness, guys. He knows he's fixing to have his head chopped off. I I don't know if Paul knew that's exactly how he was going to die, but he knew his death was coming. And do you hear the hope in that, guys? You hear the hope in that? It didn't affect his inward, his inward contentment. Paul's the one who said, I've learned to be content in all things. Whether I have a little, whether I have a lot. We look at what he went through. He's a picture of this blessedness. The spiritual well-being because he knew Christ. Are you blessed? That's the first question. Are you, are you blessed? Biblically speaking, are you blessed? So the first thing we see when we answer the question, are you in the kingdom? Those in the kingdom are blessed. Not in the way the world says blessed. Not happy, meaning the way the world uses the word happy, but the way Christ means it here. Those in the kingdom are blessed. Number two, only the poor enter only the poor enter. So you guys got money in your bank account, you're out. No, just kidding. 
Now let's, let's get to the bottom of what he means here. Some say that Jesus was comforting his disciples in their poverty. You know, because they were, they were poor. And he's just saying, hey, blessed are the poor years of the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that's what he's doing at all. Others were poor, right? Many people in that culture were poor, but they were also wicked. Are they blessed in that sense? No. There's lots of poor people we meet, relatively speaking, at the bus station, for example. There are lots of people who would be considered poor as compared to maybe us that are as vile and wicked as can be. That's not what he's, that's not what he's meaning here. This is where we get, a, we get a better understanding of what this means from Matthew's account of the Beatitudes. Where Matthew says this in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean to be poor in spirit? It means that you're in agreement with God about who you are, about your condition, about what the Bible says about our condition. It's agreeing with God. These are not pleasant things to think of. Now, after you're converted, we understand this because now our eyes have been opened. We've seen, we've seen Christ. But for the world, for a person that's not in Christ to hear, you're wicked. Mm, you're filthy. I can see it right now. I can see it right now as those things are being preached in the public and people walking by these things just rolling their eyes. Oh, we got one of those guys just rolling their eyes, shaking their head as you're lovingly trying to communicate to these people what the Bible says about their condition. You're wicked. You're filthy. That's who we are, guys, outside of Christ. We are wretched. We're, we're offensive to God. <laughs> we're, we're offensive to God. We offend the Holy God. Being poor in spirit is agreeing with that. Yes, Lord. I'm headed for hell and I deserve it. It's this spiritual bankruptcy. That's what the word means. You're spiritually bankrupt and somebody who's made poor in spirit realizes it. I have nothing to offer God except what? Our, my sin. That's what Edward said. The only thing we add to our salvation that we contribute to it is our sin. And somebody who is poor in spirit simply has, through the work of the Spirit, realized that truth. You know what that leads a person to do? Beg for mercy. You hear the, the, the tax collector all ago when I read that? What was his response? He couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He was under such conviction. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's poor in spirit, guys. It means that we have felt the offense of the cross. Right? What does Paul Washer say? I've heard him say it many times. I've echoed him. The cross, the reason why the cross is so offensive to a sinful world because the cross says you are wrong. You're wrong. There's something wrong with you. And you need to turn around. So somebody who is poor in spirit realizes that. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and this is so important, there is no one in the kingdom who's not poor in spirit. It's not like this, well, you know, this guy's poor in spirit. But you don't have to be poor in spirit. You know, being poor in spirit, guys, it's the very entrance 
into the kingdom of God. When a person is made poor in spirit, in Matthew 5, 3, I read that again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That pronoun there, guys, is an emphatic pronoun, meaning this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, and theirs alone, is the kingdom of heaven. If you haven't been made poor in spirit, you're not in the kingdom. So in verse 20 in our text here, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, and yours alone. Meaning, a person, if they have not been made poor in spirit, they have not entered the kingdom of God. Do you see the simplicity, the foundation in this? Only those who have been made poor in spirit. How? Obviously, by the power of God's Word and the power of His Spirit working and bringing conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's why we must not neglect proper evangelism. That's why we must use things like the law of God to bring the knowledge of sin. We must not neglect these things. Only those who have been humbled, guys, and granted repentance enter. That's what this poor in spirit is. Turn to Psalm 51 real quickly, guys. And I want to show you what it looks like. This poor in spirit. This is obviously David's psalm of repentance and confession. But listen to, listen to verses 1 through, 1 through 4, Psalm 51. And you can, you can see this. And obviously this is not recording David's salvation, but his repentance. He had fallen in sin. But what a, what a place of Scripture to, to send people to see what a repentant heart looks like. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, he understands his sin. And he's, he's going to God for compassion and grace. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He understands he needs to be cleansed. There's no haughtiness here. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you hear that, guys? My sin is against a holy God. Somebody who is poor in spirit, they agree with God that their sin is against Him. Right? Right? When we lie to another person, who are we actually sinning against? God Almighty. When we have lustful thoughts in our heart, we are sinning against God Almighty. And David recognizes that. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You hear that? He's calling sin what it is. Evil. He is agreeing with God so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. I deserve everything. That God says I deserve in His Word. You are just when you say that I deserve hell, God. That's a person who is repentant. He's, not, he's no longer arguing with God. 
He has waved the white flag of surrender and said, I deserve it, God. I believe that there's a hell and I deserve to go there. Will you have mercy upon me? That's, that's, that's poor in spirit. These Beatitudes, guys, they're describing, as we, as we begin to look at these Beatitudes, blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you uh, who weep now. These are describing Christians. These, these are describing kingdom citizens. But this first one is actually describing not only the person in the kingdom, but the person entering the kingdom. Being made poor in spirit. It's the narrow gate. It's the narrow gate that only a few find. This is the way. This is the entrance. J.C. Ryle says, humility, right? That's what we're talking about, being made poor in spirit. Being humbled. He says, humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. You don't get into the kingdom without humility. Right? What did Jesus say in the parable we read a while ago? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's what it means to be made poor in spirit, to be humbled. It's salvation. Is there there this kind of being humbled and being made poor in spirit in false religion that tells you, hey, just earn your way. You don't need Christ. You don't need to be humble. You don't need to recognize how wretched you are. Just pray through your prayer beads. Pray to Mary. Do your works of penance. Go knock on doors, whatever it is. Be baptized. Be sprinkled as an infant. Be dunked as an adult, whatever. But you really don't need Christ. Just add religion to your life, right? You're a good person. It's the opposite of all that. It's the opposite of all that. And then, and then even in the, the broad Protestant evangelical church, so many want to bypass this fundamental truth of being made poor in spirit. It's salvation without repentance. Right? Just say the prayer and you're in. There has been no humility. There has been no repentance. There's no being made humble through the law of God being preached and realizing your sin and realizing that I'm a wretch and I'm on my way to hell and Christ is the only way and I'm willing to repent and forsake my sin and turn to Him. So many, so many, so many churches, they just bypass all that, right? Just raise your hand, pray the prayer, you're in, and don't ever let anybody doubt. You just write it in the front of your Bible. And don't ever doubt that day when there has been no repentance, no understanding of sin, no understanding of their need for Jesus Christ. Those in the kingdom. It's it's only for those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. The kingdom. The kingdom is only for those for the poor. It's only for those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Do we understand what it means to be spiritually bankrupt, guys? <laughs> Paul tells us, I think it's Romans 2, that we are storing up wrath for ourselves in the day of wrath. He says, those of you who refuse to repent, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Revelation of the righteous judgment of God who are rendered to each one according to His works. 
So it's not just that we don't have righteousness to offer, but we have a debt of sin. And we're storing it up. It's like storing up wrath on a, or storing up debt on a credit card. Sinners are storing up wrath. Isaiah 57, 15. Listen to this beautiful verse here. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. That's who God dwells with. <laughs> in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Are you poor? Are you poor? Are you poor in spirit? Have you been made poor in spirit? Third and last, the rich are left out. Verse 24. This is one thing that's different in Luke's account. He has the two or three verses here, the woe verses that Matthew does not have. Verse 24. So that's what we're going to do with each beatitude. We'll look at the, the positive and the negative. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Again, guys, it's a spiritual statement. Now, before we go any further, are riches dangerous? Can they be dangerous? Absolutely. Riches can be dangerous. Can, can riches further blind a person? Absolutely. Right? When you have everything you need in this life, you got all your needs met, not even thinking about the greater needs that you have, which are in the next life. Yeah, riches can be bad. Right? Like James says in James chapter 1, verse 11, the rich man fades away in the midst of his pursuits. Right? Luke 12, he's building bigger barns. He's in the midst of his pursuits. Look at everything that I have. Look at my job. Look at my bank account. I need more, 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 more. And, 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 and he fades away according to James. And according to Jesus, what happens? Tonight your soul is required of you. You fool. So yeah, riches are dangerous. They can be dangerous. The writer of Proverbs says even on that day, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, right? A fat bank account is not going to help you on the day of judgment, but righteousness delivers from death. So riches, yes, they can be dangerous, but that is not what he's referring to. When he says, woe to you who are rich. And you know what, guys? I'm glad he's not referring to that. Because every one of us are rich, materially speaking. Every single one of us. Almost everybody in America is compared to the rest of the world. So if it was just woe to those who are rich, we're in trouble. And if you think about, even in the Bible, Abraham was wealthy, Job was wealthy, Joseph of Arimathea, and many others were wealthy, who were godly people. This is a spiritual statement we'll look at here in just a moment, but he says, woe. Woe, woe to you who are rich. This is an exclamation of grief. In other words, there's going to be much grief for the, for the rich one here. He doesn't see his need. Okay, That's what's going on here. He has not been made poor. He does not see his need and there's going to be much grief as judgment falls upon him in hell. 
You know what this language is saying, guys? The tables will be turned. The tables will be turned. Listen to, you don't have to turn there, jot it down if you want to jot it down. Luke 16, 25, the rich man and Lazarus. Familiar with that story, I hope. You know, the rich man died and went to hell. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. It's a really good parable to just immediately refute lies like purgatory, right? The believer is in the presence of the Lord, unbeliever, torment. But listen to this statement here. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted, and you are in agony. The tables will be turned with this blessed woe language. This woe is in direct contrast to the blessedness that we've just looked at. It's the other side of it. It's a person who does not have spiritual well-being. They do not have the approval of God. Their sins have not been forgiven. So what kind of riches is He speaking of then? When He says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. I think, the best, I think the best verse to see this truth is Revelation 3.17. His message to the church of Laodicea. Verse 16 is where he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. And verse 17 says, because you say I am rich. I am rich. And I have become wealthy. And I have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I have need of nothing. I'm a good person. I'm religious. I'm a Baptist. A guy was arguing with me the other day at the bus station before any of you even got there. I was just fixing to start preaching. He goes, oh boy, here we go, the religion again. As he's just really mocking the gospel. And that's what came out of his mouth. He said, sir, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic, right? The phrase, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying about justification by grace through faith alone. I hear what you're saying. But once a Catholic, always a Catholic. I'm a good Mormon. I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. I have everything I need. I don't need your Jesus. I don't need religion. I don't need any of it. I'm good. That's what this person is. You have need of nothing in your own eyes. And you don't know that you are wretched. You know what Jesus is saying? You don't know what you actually are. You're wretched. See, the man who's been made poor in spirit realizes it now. Their eyes have been opened. I am wretched. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me. I am unclean. See, that's what we need to do, guys. And that's what a person does when he comes into the kingdom. They pronounce woe on themselves. Woe is me. Oh, I need grace. Don't wait to hear woe when it's too late. No, when we see how wicked we are, that's what we do. We agree with Isaiah. This is a prophet of God. He said, my my lips are unclean. I live with with a people whose lips are unclean. 
And he says, you don't know that you're wretched and that you're miserable. You don't know the condition you're in, that you're a heartbeat away from hell. And you don't understand that you're poor. You don't understand how spiritually bankrupt you are. This is your actual condition. You don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind. Blinded by the devil. Blinded maybe by your riches. Blinded by your self-righteousness. And naked. You don't know how naked you are. You don't know that when you stand before God, you are going to be exposed. Nothing is hidden from His eyes. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. You don't understand that you need to be clothed with a righteousness of another. That's the rich that he's referring to. These persons who don't see their need for Christ. Woe to you who are rich. You're receiving your comfort in full. Just like the rich man. But you're going to be in agony. Agony in hell forever. Only the poor enter, beloved. Only those who are poor in spirit enter. The rich are left out. The self-righteous are left out. Are you rich or are you poor? In closing, Proverbs 30 verse 12, there is a kind who is pure. There is a kind, a kind of man. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes. See, that's the rich. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Are you the Pharisee? Maybe for those who listen to this, are you the Pharisee? Are you the rich? Do you say, I'm so rich like the Pharisee? God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners. I thank you, God, that I got a fat bank account. I go to church. I'm a deacon. I've been baptized. I'm a good person. Or are you like the tax collector? Like the poor? The poor in spirit? That when you think of your condition, your condition before God, you say, Lord, I am so wretched. I'm so wretched. When I look at my heart, I wonder how could a God send a Savior to die for me? I'm so wretched. There's nothing I can give you, Lord. There's nothing I can pay you. All I have is my sin. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You're my only hope. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for this great sermon that our Lord preached while on earth. That he started the sermon off with what it looks like to enter the kingdom. And it's through humility. It's through repentance and faith in Christ alone. Father, I just pray, God, that uh, Lord, that as Christians, that we would be encouraged, that we would have assurance of our salvation, Lord, by examining our lives and, and seeing that we've been made poor in spirit, that we see these things, that we see our need for Christ, God. I pray that you would use this message and, and somebody else's life, Lord, who has not entered the kingdom maybe who's even been, been deceived that they have, but they realize that, 
they've never been humbled and made poor in spirit like this text is talking about. That they would see their need, like the song said. That's the condition to enter. That we simply see our need and turn to Christ. Lord, use this for Your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, Amen.